Good morning to all of you. It's great to be together and lift up our voices in song as we have uh, together. And it is now time for the word of the Lord and the preaching of the word. And so I'd ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We've been in Hebrews chapter 12 for the last three weeks. And uh, what a glorious transition after the hall of faith. In chapter 11, of all those examples of faith, in light of that, he says, since we have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. So we have been considering this race metaphor, and that's in the Christian life. We we have this race metaphor that that we are to set aside all the other things that would distract, that we might run in such a way that is pleasing to him. Back in 1978, there was a a man that ran the Boston Marathon that was interviewed by the Philadelphia Inquirer, and they went into some detail, and it was particularly had to do with when he, quote, hit the wall. Okay, there's that part in a marathon, I've never run a marathon, but where you hit a wall, but you have to keep going. And I, I think this is just in light of our text and what we're going to consider today, and, and that we're called to finish the race, okay? To finish the race, not just start the race, but finish the race. He was interviewed, quote, he says this, By now the rigors of having run nearly 20 miles are beginning to tell My stride was shortened, my legs were tight, my breathing was shallow and fast, my joints are becoming raw and worn, my neck aches from all the jolts of having ricocheted up my spine, half-dollar-sized blisters sting the soles of my feet, I'm beginning to feel queasy and lightheaded, I want to stop running, I have hit the wall. Now the real battle begins, up the first many long inclines and start to climb one two one two right left right left i keep watching my feet move one after the other hypnotized by the rhythm the passage of the asphalt below shoulder cramps leaden legs seething blisters dry throat empty stomach stop keep moving must finish finally heartbreak hill This is the longest and steepest. It's a half-mile struggle against gravity designed to finish off any who are faint and faltering. Hundreds of people stand along the hill watching, urging the walkers to jog, the joggers to run, the runners to speed up. Slowly, ever so slowly, the grade begins to level out. Finally, I finish. Two hours and 50 minutes. I came in 1,176th place. And then he goes on to say this, the real joy of the Boston Marathon Marathon is finishing, doing out what you've set out to do. Kent Hughes brings out on this analogy, the marathoner's grit and finishing joy are metaphorical for what we Christians, ancient and modern, are called to do in this life. The spiritual life is a long-distance run. Though we have hit the wall many times, we are called to tough it out, realizing that the hardships we endure are disciplines that enable us to share in God's holiness. 
The writer wants his hearers in our text today to finish the race and to finish well. So look with me as we read our text today. Our text is actually only verses 12 and 13, but I'm going to read from 10 to 17 to get the broader context. Speaking of the discipline of a father and how God disciplines us, fathers disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. By it many are defiled." And that there be no immoral person or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your inspired word. We thank you that that every jot and tittle is inspired by you and is God-breathed. We thank you for the 66 books of the Holy Bible. We thank you for that it was men moved by the Holy Spirit that penned these books. We thank you for this book of Hebrew, that Hebrews which is written to Jewish Christians in Rome as the persecution was beginning to intensify. The author is unknown but we know he has a pastor's heart. We know that he has the the balance of of bringing wonderful exposition from the Old Testament, showing how it connects to the New Covenant, and also giving exhortations and warnings along the way to his flock. And so, Lord, for us, may we benefit from this wonderful book that we've been in for some time now. And we think of our text today today, And we think of the corporate effort that is needed for us to finish the race. That there's no solo Christianity running alone in your own lane without others around. And so Lord, we pray that you would indeed speak to us from your word. Send your Holy Spirit even now, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So I already read verse 1 there, running with endurance. Let us run with endurance. That's the main clause of that section. The key is fixing our eyes on Jesus as we're running. That will help us not to swerve to the right or to the left. And then verse 3, to consider him who endured such hostility against sinners. And then he says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord in verse 5. We're not to regard that lightly because those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So these difficult things that come, we're running, right? We've laid aside every weight, every hindrance. We've taken our iPhone and our keys out of our pocket, maybe taken off the outer garment. We're running, right? But the Lord will still discipline us to prepare us for glory, 
And we realize that it's a loving father that does that. And he uses that analogy of earthly fathers. You know, parent has seemed best to them, right? But he disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness and experience that peaceful fruit of righteousness. Remember, we talked about those who have been trained by it. Gumnazo, it's where we get gymnasium from. Those who have been trained by it yield this peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so what the author does is after verses 5 to 11, that discipline section, still in the context of the race, he returns to this athletic metaphor and imagery of the race. These verses contain the exhortation to the the listeners to renew their commitment to finish the race. Because let's face it, brethren, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of walking with the Lord, we may start out well. The first decade, we may begin to waffle and wobble a little bit. Our knees might become feeble, and then we need to renew our strength and to continue to focus on the goal and the finish line. You see, the most important thing for us is to have good theology to know who God is and who we are before this God. But there's also the aspect of now living it out, right? And so how do we live it out? We've got this good theology, but we're called to living it out. Romans, the book of Romans, right? Chapters 1 to 11, beautiful theology of the fall and total depravity, justification, sanctification, God's sovereignty. And then what? You come to chapter 12. Therefore, what does it say? Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God to live your life as a living sacrifice before Him. It really, it happens here. There's been doctrine and application along the way, but that, that therefore, after the light of all of chapter 11 and all of those examples, let us run with endurance. The writer has carefully explained what faith is and living by faith is by all those Old Testament examples, beginning with Abel all the way to the unnamed ones who were persecuted and sawn in two But now in chapter 12, it's as though he says, now that you know what the Christian life of faith is, go out and run it. (laughs) Go out and run it. That's that's really the, the force. And so he begins to use imperatives, commands, right? And commanding us in this section here. Strengthening the admonition that he is giving to us. And so, as we will learn, we must press on and continue competing even when the struggle is intensely difficult, even when you're in that six week of boot camp and your 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 muscles are are like they're done. I want to be done, right? You got to push through, and so too for us in the Christian life. So, two simple points today: um, verse twelve, strengthening the hands and the knees, and then verse uh, thirteen, straightening the paths. Very simple points. So, first of all, verse twelve. Let's read it again. Now notice the therefore right there, and, and that's, you might think, for this reason, he's returning to that, the, this theme, therefore, in light of running with endurance, considering Christ, fixing our eyes on Jesus, God disciplines us to prepare us for that day, therefore, you, the command, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Hands imply 
the arms, right? The hands are, are here, but it's by implication the arms. Now think of a run. Let's, you know, my, my top was like 50-yard, 100-yard dashes, not 26-mile marathons. But man, when you're running, and you're running fast, do your arms just stay like this? These are all activated to help you to stride well. It's all this coordination and rhythm of your body as you run the race. And so he says, strengthen the hands that are weak by implication, the arms that are weak. The idea is to become erect from a bent position. Um, It's used in the Gospel of Luke where there was a woman of 18 years suffering sickness and she, it says that she was bent double and could not straighten up. We see people like that in public sometimes, don't we? And, and Jesus called her and said, Woman, are you, would you like to be free from your sickness? And he laid his hands on her, and immediately, this is the, the word, she was made erect again and began glorifying God. So what we're told to do is to strengthen the hands. And and. and the idea here is um, it, it's the, or the feeble knees, right? The hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, this feebleness, this, this um, weakness, as it were. So this physical image is being used to describe the listener's morale. Drooping hands and arms depict what? Exhaustion from the race. Weariness. Eliphaz in Job chapter 4, is speaking to Job, says this, Behold, you have admonished many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. I think that's rather ironically, that's kind of, that's right there in the scripture. This is a part where Job, Job hasn't been harshly criticized just yet. He's commending him. You look at how God has used you in the past. So the, the droopy hands and the, the feeble knees is a picture of, of a despondent person that's fainting, maybe even that's fainting under the chastisement of the Lord in context here, right, from verses 5 to 11. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, said, Come, children of God, do not be despondent because of your tribulations. You are in a race. So run, even while you are smarting from your chastisements, still run and keep on running until you win the prize. Now, Charlie did a good job introducing um, Isaiah 35, and, and this text is most certainly coming from Isaiah 35 and verse 3, where it says, encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble. And in that context of, of that particular chapter, the faithful remnant. Isaiah is encouraging the faithful remnant who had been through a lot, many evil kings, many judgments, judgments upon the nations, allowing the nations to come and spank Israel, as it were, from the discipline of the Lord. Actually, ironically, fits with Hebrews 12. Um, using Assyria, for example, to be the rod against Israel and their sin and their idolatry. So he reminds, the prophet reminds them of this coming kingdom The wilderness and the desert will be glad. They will see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. And then it says, encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble. And it goes on to say, say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come. 
So that's the context of where he's getting these words from. Secondly, under this head, this is a corporate effort. This is a corporate effort. He's not saying, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and get out there and run. That's not what he's saying at all. And and I want you to notice that the writer doesn't say to strengthen your hands and your feeble knees, but the hands and the feeble knees. By implication, this is a corporate effort. And that runs with the theme of Hebrews back in chapter 3 and verse 13. Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today. Why? So that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So in this race, or in a regular race, right, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're racing. If Andrew and I were racing, I would kind of, you know, inwardly say, I hope his knees get a little feeble so I can actually win the race, right? But not in this race. This race, the Christian, the Christian race is different. We're concerned about others. We want everyone to finish, and we want everyone to finish. Hebrews 4.1, Therefore, let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you seem to come short of it. Next time, we'll see in verse 15, um, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. There's a corporate effort there. We're to see to it. We're to look out for one another, Right? That's the idea of this, this area, this, um, this section of scriptures. So like runners on a race that see the finish line with their eyes, the Hebrew Christians are to take heart, are to lift up those droopy hands and arms and, and to strengthen the legs and to run with greater, determined, de- greater determination to reach the finish line. And so when we're running, we need various things. If you're actually in a race or when I... Would cycle if I was going over 25 miles. I'd, I'd carry these little packs called GU, GU. And it, it's filled with gal- calories and um, uh, amino acids and stuff that kind of give you a, a renewed boost. We're to actually have GU on us to give to one another when, when they're ready to, to weaken and to give up. The psalmist says in Psalm 31 Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Once again, Charles Spurgeon captures how this corporate, uh, working together corporately looks like. Listen to what he says. Cheer the heart when the limbs are weak. Tell the doubting, God is faithful. Tell those who feel the burden of sin that it was for sinners that Christ died. Tell the backsliders that God will never cast away his people. Tell the desponding that the Lord delights in mercy. Tell the distracted that the Lord does devise means to bring back his banished. Covet the character of Barnabas. He was what? Son of encouragement. Study the sacred art of speaking a word in season. Apprentice yourself to be a comforter. Acquaint yourself with the sacred art of comforting the sad. Let your own troubles and trials qualify you to sympathize and relieve. You will be of great value in the church of God if you acquire the art of compassion and are able to help those who are bowed down. I think that's a beautiful way to summarize how we're to interact. And 
I've got it somewhere else in my notes, but I'm going to take this opportunity right now. This is why God has designed the local church. The, the universal church is one thing, right? It's all the believers in the totality of the world. But that universal church is made up of local congregations where these kinds of things can be lived out in a very real way. Our sister Carrie came to prayer meeting burdened by something. And we were able to love on her and intercede and to pray for that burden, to pray for her son in such a way. Can you imagine just trying to shoulder the difficult things of life without having having the church and brothers and sisters to shoulder that with you? Brother Evan, good to see you. His girlfriend's going through tremendous difficulty with her kidney and pain and will probably have to have a kidney removed. What is she, 21, 20? Yeah, so that's a trial, right? But God is using that trial. We were able to intercede for her and Evan that he would have the words to comfort her. And, and even as they desire to be married someday, this is, as it were, God's furnace that they're going through to learn how to suffer well. And it will draw them closer to the Lord and enable them to serve one another all the more. The context of the local church. It's a beautiful thing. I can't imagine solo Christianity. Paul says to the Thessalonians, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. And then notice he says, but be patient with everyone. Because you do need patience sometimes with these, right? So that's the strengthening. Let's strengthen those hands. If somebody's coming in like this, let's encourage them. Let's Let's strengthen them. Let's refocus their mind and eyes on on Christ that they would look to the goal. But now, we're called to straighten the paths. Verse 13, Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So this is another um, command in the original. It's actually make is a command. And he says make straight. Put braces on the path. Orthodontics, right? Orthodontics is to straighten teeth, right? And that's that the word is orthos in the original. And so make straight the paths. And the paths is the idea of a wheeled cart on soft sand, if you think of it, and how the wheels leave a track, right? And if it's going all like this, you're going to be wasting time to the right or to the left. But if it's a straight track, and then others are able to come and to follow in that way. That Greek word occurs in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, six times in Proverbs, and this is just one of them. I've directed your way, I've directed you in the way of wisdom, and I've led you in the upright paths. And so this is, it's not just a path, but it's the idea of a path to where others are follow. You might think of it to use the marathon analogy, a runner's lane right? Well, it, I guess in a marathon you don't have lanes, but you know, a 400 meter race or whatever, you've got your lane. Stay in your lane. Turn to Proverbs chapter 4 with me for a moment. Just like I think the author most likely had Isaiah 35 in mind, I think he has the last three verses of Proverbs 4 in mind here. Verse 25, let your eyes look directly ahead. 
Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all the ways and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left and turn your feet your foot from evil. So no doubt the author has that in mind here as he says, make straight paths for your feet. <clears throat> So, also, this exhortation is given in the plural, so it applies to the entire congregation. This exhortation is for the person that's competing in a race, and they're beginning to find it long and tedious and taxing, and and he must head straight towards the goal and not turning to the right or to the left. That's why I love how he says, fixing your eyes on Jesus in verse 2. We've got to fix our eyes ahead, even in that Proverbs 4 quote. It's, it's looking straight ahead. You're not going to get very far if you're running backwards or if you're looking to the right and to the left constantly. My utter commitment to finish the race is not based on carnal reasons. It's not based on, I want... I want a crown, or, or, you know, or I can't wait to earn my way into heaven. It's not based on that at all. It's based on the finished work of Christ. And I'm fixing my eyes on Him because He's the one that put me in the race to begin with when He saved me. Our meditation was from, for the Lord's Supper this morning in prayer meeting was from Ezekiel 36. And there it talks about how He takes out the heart of stone and puts in the heart of flesh and cleans you with water. But the irony is, is just verses before that, he's talking about, and I think it's better if I just turn there. (laughs) He's talking about how these people, God's people, had defiled themselves in such a way. My point is, is that they did not deserve any of this grace and salvation. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned in the midst. These people sound like they deserve salvation? Then he says, I will take you from among the nations. I will gather you. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all the filthiness From all your filthiness and from your idols, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone and your flesh will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And then he goes on to say that um, I will call you my people and I will be your God. What glorious comfort that is to know that he's the one that put us in the race. And then to Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will what? Leave it as an unfinished project? Sometimes it feels that way, my own sanctification, like an unfinished project that's maybe getting dusty or rusting out. But no, he will complete it. Unlike at the gym, if I'm pumping iron and I'm trying to get another, you know, an, another uh, set in or whatever, and it's and it's my own inward determination. That's that's not how we run in this race. 
It's, it's the strength to finish the race comes from outside of us. It's God working within us by His Spirit. The very important application that's for some of you, the temptation is to quit the race, to check out for a while, to just, you know, stay away for a while, maybe to take a detour, maybe even. Well, I think I know better that, you know, this way might be a little quicker, or this way might be easier on my feet. And we're tempted to rationalize like that. That's not an option for the true born-again believer who must keep running the race. I think of a Pilgrim's Progress. I hope, trust most of you have read. If you haven't, please read it. It's an excellent, excellent work. But Christian is journeying on after Vanity Fair, and his feet, him and hopeful feet, begin to um, get sore. And, 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 and right over the fence, there's this flowing grass. Wouldn't it be just so much easier Walk on that. And so there's a gate called what? Bypath Meadow. And they go through this gate and they're on Bypath Meadow. And what happens is the subtle turn of the course took them off the course to the celestial city, heaven. And they end up completely turned around. They find themselves in Doubting Castle. And guess who lives in Doubting Castle? Giant Despair. And it's a place of questioning their own salvation. And giant despair is saying, why don't you just take your own life? And he would come in with a club and beat them. But finally, on the fourth day, they remember the promises of God. And they begin to find the key of promise. The promises of God revived them from near death that unlocked all the gates in the castle and they got out and were free. The point is, They went through incredible suffering by thinking they knew a better way than what God had determined. And so when you choose to do those things, don't be surprised if you incur incredible suffering as a result of a sinful, poor choice. Again, that's why we need need the Word of God. We need to be in the Word. This book will guide us. This book will direct us. And to have the, the fellowship of the saints and the encouragement and many counselors. And so what does he say here? Make straight the paths for your feet. Make straight the paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The lame here are those that are struggling, those that are limping along. Um, The Christian is to help others by removing impediments along the way. If we see someone that that's that's limping, maybe it's a permanent disability and they're limping, our job is to remove the stones and to remove the pits and to fill in the holes so that they don't fall headlong. And so we're to be looking out for one another. Charles Spurgeon once again, we are to make straight paths because of lame people. You cannot heal that man's bad foot, but you can pick up the stones out of the pass so that he can out of the pass so he can pass over. You cannot give him a new leg, but you can make the road as smooth as possible. Let there be no unnecessary stumbling blocks to cause him pain. We must also remember that how we live our lives, how we are running the race, right? It's either going to help others or hinder them. If we're setting a poor example, it's going to hinder those that are looking to us, right? We need to realize that how we run the race and how we respond to trials 
actually influences others. And we want to be influencing for good. We must set the example of constancy and perseverance and to be those that are helping those that are faltering. We read from Hebrews 10 as well. Um, wonderful, wonderful passages, but just uh, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's to provoke one another. That's to apply mental effort of how we can provoke and how we can encourage. We're thinking, we're, we're premeditating of how we can provoke unto love and good works. And then notice what he says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then finally, this phrase here at the end of the verse, um, uh, so that purpose clause, the limb that is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He gives the reason for the strengthening and straightening and reinvigorating our hands and our feet is so that the limb may be made heal. This verb can and does mean, one of the lexical definitions, to turn aside and some interpret it to, like, to prevent those from turning aside that ultimately leads to apostasy, right? Ultimately denying the Lord. But having the, the phrase at the end that, that they would be healed I think there's another nuance, and this word also is a medical term that means not to become dislocated or out of joint. I don't know if you've ever had a dislocated shoulder. It's extremely painful to put it back in. So the goal is that it would not be fully dislocated, but actually be kept in joint. The whole communities of believers should be concerned for the weakest among us, right? To have compassion, to come alongside and to strengthen. All believers have the responsibility to be those Barnabases, right? To encourage one another, to care for one another. My wife and I were so blessed that I think, I don't know, many in the church were fasting and praying for us and for an important meeting we had this last Wednesday. That gave us great hope and courage. Not only hope in the Lord, but, but that my brothers and sisters, some of the brothers and sisters, are, are shouldering this with us and taking it to the throne of grace. And this should challenge anyone who might be straddling the fence, maybe that's waffling around um, with this path. Maybe they're on the path one day and off the path the next. And I'll remember what uh, Elijah, remind you of what Elijah told the prophets of Baal, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, worship Him. One man that was lame in many ways, we'll say, is William Cooper from the 18th century. He knew what trials were and suffered great depression. John Newton, the great hymn writer, would would come alongside to help those feeble knees and to strengthen those weak hands. William Cooper, his mother died when he was a young boy. He was put in a boarding school where he was abused severely. He ended up suffering from severe depression many of the years of his life up to his early 30s. Finally, his father and stepmother died, and his best friend died by drowning. Um, And then he could not secure any work to even care for himself, and it led to an absolute total mental collapse, and he was in an asylum. A pastor shared the gospel with him, 
and gave him something to look forward to. And he had his Bible and, and something tremendous happened. This is how he describes his conversion. He says, I flung myself into a chair near the window and seeing a Bible there, I decided to apply it for my comfort. The verse I saw was Romans 3 and verse 25. God has set forth as a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the forgiveness of sins. Immediately, I received strength to believe it. The full beams of the Son of Righteousness shone upon me. I saw a sufficiency in the atonement he had made on my part and has sealed in his blood, and I was overwhelmed with love and wonder. That's when the Word of God comes home, and it's real, and it really converts overwhelmed with love and love and wonder of the lord now those of you know the life of cooper he would go on to suffer he wrote the beautiful hymn god moves in a mysterious way and many other hymns that are in our hymnals he would go on to suffer but john newton was a good friend to him he was one that strengthened those knees and encouraged him along the way what about yourself do you find yourself today struggling in such a way in the midst of intense trials, perhaps exceeding sorrows that maybe we don't even know about? Are you nearing mental collapse? We live in a fallen world, and these difficult things should not surprise us, Peter says. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is among you. In the last two weeks of looking at verses 5 and 11, we've, we've unpacked that. That God has a purpose, but what a comfort to know that God is sovereign. He's training us. He's conforming us into the image of Christ. He's training us in the gymnasium of faith, preparing us for eternal glory. That's the motive that keeps us running in our running lane, is to know that He is sovereign. He who began a good work will complete it. Just a couple concluding thoughts as we close The born-again Christian has great comfort because he can fix his eyes on Jesus. You say, well, I'm blind. I can't see. you you got the eyes of faith. Fanny Crosby penned 9,000 hymns. Blessed assurance, oh, how I see him, and she's blind, right? So in a sense, don't let that be a limitation. We fix our eyes on Jesus by faith. We shouldn't be having some image of a slick willy on a crucifix or anything like that. It's the supreme God. Read Revelation 1 if you want some type of imagery. He who has eyes is a flame of fire and feet with burnished bronze. A glorious picture of Jesus Christ and all of his glory. And we all agree that a marathon is hard, right? And that Christian life race that we're on is a marathon. It's not a 50-yard dash or a 100-yard dash. Right, And we can be tempted to lose heart. But the Christian runner keeps the finish line fixed in his mind. He keeps that fixed in his heart, knowing that there's a joy that is beyond all comparison, beyond that finish line. I read of another marathon runner that I decided not to put in my notes, but um, it, it went something like this. I think it was in the 60s. It was televised and all of that. And he pushed himself so hard. And he was the one that was in the lead or one of the leaders or whatever. In the last half mile, 
he not only did he hit a wall, he was faltering where he was staggering like a drunken person and like going backwards and could not maintain his balance. And, um, but eventually he did finish. I think it was 11 minutes that he was in this one area of just literally doing that. He never fell. But, and the reality is, is that sometimes that's us, Right? Sometimes in the, in the Christian race, we can lose our balance. We can lose our focus. We can stammer around because we don't have the support of those that are around us. Or sometimes just in God's providence, He does that. But if you are in Christ, you will finish the race. It may not be triumphant, you know, running through with your breast out through the ribbon. Maybe it won't be like that. It may, but it will be victoriously. You will finish the race by the grace of God. That Art Carney, who I mentioned at the beginning, had the, he said the joy of finishing the marathon, as hard as it was after hitting the wall, well, really there's a double joy for us because we're finishing it together, right? It's not just alone. We're all together as brothers and sisters, and that's why we must repudiate American individualism that really hinders the organic growth of the church. We need one another. It's okay to say that. We need one another. Kent Hughes says this, the strong among us must hold up the dangling hands and the wobbling knees of the weak with the prayers and acts of mercy. Those who are strong must make straight paths for the weak by the exemplary direction of their lives. The lives of the strong must keep the weak on the right road. Their lives must never cause them to be weak and stumble. This is why the you know, church is so important. And maybe some of you here, someone's, someone here, I'm sure, is not even in the race because you're not in Christ. He hasn't put you in the race yet. This could be the day of salvation for you. But you must repent of your sins, admit that you're a sinner, run to Jesus Christ as a suitable Savior, whosoever will, let him come. The one that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out, Jesus said. All you have to do is humble yourself, turn from your sins, and come to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. Oh, Lord, it's hard to admit that we have weak hands and weak arms and feeble knees at times. But Lord, may we receive strength not only from you by your Spirit, but also from one another. And Lord, that you might help us all to finish well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.